Hello, and welcome to another edition of, well, this is St. Paul's Letters to America. I'm in studio today. Yeah, my name is Ray Gerard, uh, and I'm in studio today with Bob Henniquez. Bob, thanks for being back here again. Well, it's nice. I've been out of St. Louis and away for about uh, nine or ten months, and back here, and absolutely love being here and certainly being a part of this. This is great. So uh, today, uh, you know, the aim of this instruction, I would say, is love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Some people have deviated from these and turned to meaningless talk, wanting to be teachers, but without understanding either what they are saying or what they assert with such assurance. But this saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Of these, I am the foremost. But for that reason, I was mercifully treated, so that in me, as the foremost, Christ Jesus might display all his patience as an example for those who would come to believe in him for everlasting life. To the king of ages, incorruptible, invisible, the only God, honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, I gave no introduction to that. Um, and for a while, it might even seem like, you know, this was something that I was saying that I had written Um even talking about myself, the part about being the foremost among sinners, that part I can relate to. Um, but no, it's actually a letter from St. Paul um, to Timothy. And um, this, I think, letter is particularly important. If there was going to be a message given to America today, if St. Paul were alive today and was going to give a message to America, perhaps among all the things he would say would be this. I mean, what is not contained in this? The aim of this instruction, everything St. Paul would teach, is simply this love from a pure heart. And what's the other main concept of that? This saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came to save sinners. If you studied the Bible back to front, if you spent years of questioning, you know, what's the meaning of life, and you read the best philosophers and the greatest scholars and, you know, spent years and years in study, and if you came away with only these two things, what else would you need to know? So why is this relevant? Well, today, we're going to talk about baseball. We're going to talk about baseball, and baseball and St. Paul have have something where they, they connect, and we're going, to exactly, we're going to show you exactly how. So the uh, L.A. Dodgers have been in the new – like baseball, Bob? I was just at a game this week. I absolutely love the game and, and uh, love being a fan, and my dad did and my son does, and it's sort of a, sort of a family thing. It's a, it's a time my grandfather did. It's a time for us to get together and share and enjoy. So I'm a big fan. Hey, feel the dreams, right? Yeah, you bet. I mean, you know, if, you see, if you've seen that movie, I mean, baseball is America. Baseball has, what does uh, James Earl Jones say? You know, it passed the, you know, it has marked the time as, as America has grown. All that's correct. So I yep. mean, so uh, part of our national identity, baseball, but now part of our national identity includes, you know, I don't even, I guess I could rename them. I could call them the sisters. I like to refer to them as the sisters of perpetual blasphemy. Uh, the name they chose for themselves, however, is the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. And not the kind of indulgence you're thinking of where, you know, it involves the remission of sins. No, this is indulgence where um, you're told, uh, as their website proudly states, to go forth and sin some more. Um, that is the motto that appears on their website, the bottom of every page of their, their website, Go forth and sin some more. Took that right away from Jesus in the story of the adulterous woman where he said the exact opposite, go forth and sin no more. So they're, they're going after it. The exact opposite of what Jesus said, mm -hmm. and that's precisely the point. So if you don't know the, uh, the background of, of this story with the L.A. Dodgers and the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, um, this group, they call themselves an order of sisters, um, I guess what is it? Maybe just by chance, just similar to, oh, you know, uh, an order of nuns in a, in a Catholic faith. Are they trying to perhaps? Of course they are. Um, they 
use so many Catholic symbols, uh, Catholic terms, um, all, all kinds of just, just, just you know, things that are Catholic, things that we identify our faith with, they have taken them, and then they use them for their own purposes. They and, even have habits and whatnot that they wear, do they not, Ray? I, from the pictures I've seen, that's what I've seen of it, yeah? They wear habits with, with coronets, and some of them do. They each have their own individual uh, costume that they use, but absolutely. Uh, the dress, the, they use uh, the crucifix um, in celebrations in a mocking fashion. Um, they have contests every Easter where they, uh, there's, a, there's a contest involving, um, uh, it's called Hunky, and then they have, it's, there's, I mean, I don't like to actually repeat these things, but they refer to it as the Hunky Jesus and the Foxy Mary contests. And they use a crucifix as like, a, a, you know, for pole dancing, and there's all kinds of sexual movements and innuendos and so forth and the blessed mother is is portrayed in and uh in horrible and black it's simply profane uh, what they do now they do it for the purpose of celebrating a lifestyle the lifestyle is the lifestyle of transgenderism same-sex unions um and uh the other thing that appears on the website very prominently is this idea of removing stigmatic guilt. So it's a direct repudiation of the cross. The passage we just read from St. Paul talks about, um, you know, the, it, it talks about the cross itself. Um, it talks about the sacrifice of Jesus. This Christ came into the world to save sinners. The whole purpose of the cross was to expiate sin. If we accept Jesus, if we try to try to follow uh, his, you know, his his his, you know, try to follow his his uh, example, try to live like him, try to imitate him, uh, you know, then if we're lucky, perhaps you know we can enjoy eternal life, which is only made possible to us because of the cross. These are all major tenets of obviously the Catholic faith and a lot of other Christian faiths as well. And so, not only do they mock it, um, they repudiate it. And I think that's the key here. You know, the backstory on this is that the Dodgers invited uh, this group to receive an award on Pride Day. Now, the Dodgers have had Pride Day to recognize transgender, um, same-sex people, and so forth. Uh, they've had that, I think, for 10 years running now. And it's never been a, such a big thing. But this year they decided uh, to uh, invite this group and to give them an award, some community service award, some kind of community hero award. I don't know exactly, but anyways. <clears throat> and then they caught a lot of backlash and a lot of people objected because of the blasphemous nature of, of what they do. And so they disinvited them. Well, then they caught more backlash. Having stepped into this, you know, this, the, you know, this puddle. Now they're they're kind of stuck in it. Anyways, so then they did, decided to reverse course again, and so they re-invited them. And when they did, they actually apologized to this group. They said, among other things, the Los Angeles Dodgers would like to offer our sincerest apologies to the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, members of the LGBTQ plus community, and their friends and family. So now they're apologizing. They're, they're sorry. Um, and so in reaction to that, a lot of people have spoken out. Clayton Kershaw is a pitcher for the Los Angeles Dodgers. Pretty good one. He, you know, he's mentioned in the same you know, breath with guys like Sandy Koufax. I mean, all-time greats. I mean, Kershaw is going to end up in the Hall of Fame for sure. Um, and, uh, you know, he said things such as, well, this is a group, uh, this is simply a group that was making fun of a religion. And he said, I don't agree with that. That was Clayton Kershaw. They have another pitcher on the Dodgers, another all-star pitcher. He's a relief pitcher. And, uh, da -da -da, yeah, Blake uh, Trinan. And he said, quote, I am disappointed to see the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence being honored as heroes at Dodgers Stadium. He said, many of their performances are blasphemous. 
Their work only displays hate and mockery of Catholics and the Christian faith. It's a picture for the Washington Nationals. He said something similar. He said, to invite and honor a group that makes a blatant and deeply offensive mockery of my religion and the religion of over 4 million people in Los Angeles County alone undermines the values of respect and inclusivity that shouldn't be upheld by any organization. Um, Senator Marco Rubio came out with a statement. Uh, you know, former Vice President Mike Pence came out with a statement. Uh, there is a professor at Catholic University of New York, uh, excuse me, Catholic University of America, who came out with an assembly. And they all kind of basically say the same thing, that this group is offensive, they mock the Catholic faith, um, that it is an affront to everybody who you know, shares the Christian faith, and that we are seriously offended. Well, in my view, while those reactions are correct and true, um, they're the wrong message. They're just simply the wrong message. Why? Because they miss the point. They're all wrong in a, in a certain respect. They miss the point. The point is what we've been talking about. They honor sin. They repudiate Christ. If you're going to honor a group that repudiates Christ, can you really just stand back and say, well, we're not taking any position on this. We're not making a real decision. We're not ourselves saying we agree or disagree with them. We're just, you know, I mean, so we're not taking any stance at all. We're neutral on the question of Christ. Can you do that? I don't think so. I, um, to, to step up just for a second and say that we want sin, we like sin, that's something that's good, goes against the fabric of who we are. We know we will sin. I know that. I have sinned. I know I'm going to sin more. I hope it's not today, but I, it, it could be. But my desire is not to sin. The desire of Christ was to forgive our sin. And yet to put that on a mantle is something to strive for is absolutely crazy. I, the, the fact of the matter is Jesus Christ came to save us from our own sins. He was crucified to save us from our own sin. And we couldn't get to heaven without him coming and dying for our sin. And then to say somehow that this sin is a good thing, it's something to be lauded, it's something to be applauded, is not an argument. It's absolutely absurd to put that on some sort of good basis. If you think about what sin is, it goes against all the rights that are in our Constitution, the belief that we will not kill, we will not hurt, we will not do those things. Those are all illegal, and yet that's what sin is. And so it's not a contest of right of I'm right, you're right, I'm, I should be apologized to in human interaction. It is a reality. They are picking something that is dead wrong by our society and by our God and making that a champion. Well, when you give them an award, and you, I think there's something about being a community hero. Um, when you give them an award and you call them a hero, uh, yeah, how do you stand back and say we're neutral on this? You're not. I mean, you, I, I heard that um, after they re-invited them, uh, there's a group out in, uh, it's a national group called Catholic Vote, and so they reached out to the Dodgers to try to engage in a conversation with the Dodgers. And apparently the Dodgers did agree to talk to them, but just simply d dismissed, you know, what they said. And so by re-inviting them, by apologizing to them, by giving them an award, you are making um, an approval. You don't do, you mean you don't honor somebody for no reason, uh, would we honor a mass murderer? Uh, you have a serial murderer. Would you put him in front of 50,000 people at Dodger Stadium and call him a community hero? Would you I, do that? I hope not. How about, a, how about somebody who goes into a school and just shoots up a school? Would you bring him before 50,000 people and, and give them a, a, a plaque, a little trophy or whatever? Would you do that? Why not? Why not? 
you are so make no mistake they you can't dance around this they're not being neutral oh we're going to give one group one day and then we're going to give the christian group you know another day um that's just i mean that that's that's self-serving um so you can't really avoid the question if you're going to give it you have to decide so who is Christ? Was Christ good? Was Christ bad? Is there such a thing as good and evil? Are these not questions that you have to ask yourself before you honor a group that has as one of its vows? They, they say on their website that they take that all these so-called sisters, they're men, but anyway, so-called sisters, take vows, vows as a, as a Catholic nun would take, vows to promulgate universal joy and and universal joy. It sounds good. What it means, obviously, is anything goes. If you know whatever whatever pleasure you want, you you do. Um, and to expiate stigmatic guilt, so get rid of any kind of guilt. You are using the wounds of Christ, the stigmata, the piercing of his hands, the piercing of his feet, the horrible pain, the agony that he must have felt. For what reason? He underwent this suffering to make an offering to the fa- his Father in heaven to repair the harm done by our sin. You're talking about sin, Bob? That's what it was for. If you're going to expiate stigmatic guilt, any feelings of guilt for doing something sinful, for doing something wrong, for doing something for which Christ gave his life and suffered all that pain with that, you know, these wounds to his hands, his feet, the piercing, you know, the piercing with the spear in his side, the, you know, the the crown of thorns piercing into his, his skull, all of that horrible pain. Um, you're going to remove any guilt from, you know, committing any sins that were part of the reason why he underwent that. If you're going to get rid of any guilt, you also get rid of any gratitude for Christ's suffering. There is suffering, that pain. There is no—basically, it's a statement that there is no sin. There is no line between good and evil. Go forth and sin some more is a mockery of the, of the whole concept of sin. It simply says— Anything is right. If it feels good, just go ahead and do it. There is no right and no wrong. It is essentially, in, in well, in, in no yeah, in unequivocal terms, it's a, reje- it's a rejection of any line between good and evil. Which is where we all should be in making that decision. I, you know, how many—think about this for a little bit, Ray. Catholic, non-Catholic, how many parents go and teach them their children— to do wrong. Now, there are a few, right? There's, there's no doubt that there are those that are teaching their children to do the wrong things and, and to act poorly. But the vast majority, I don't know if it's 99% or 99.9%, I don't know what it is, but it's a big number, teach their children to do right, to do the right things, to love one another, to take care of one another. Religious or not, Catholic or not, it's a huge number to try to teach people to understand that there is right and there is wrong in the world, and we need to do the right and not do the wrong. This is basically saying, hey, everything's okay. It's all relative. You do whatever you want, whatever feels good, as opposed to something being right or wrong. We have a system in place where we have laws that say you can do this and you can't do that. There is right and wrong. There is right and wrong in terms of sin in the Catholic Church. There is right and wrong in terms of our legal system, what's right and wrong. And I, it's, it's stunning that we're blurring that line, that, that that's not more obvious. You know, the, their message, and, but that is their message, to blur that line completely. Their message is not limited to sexual orientation or sexual preference. Their website, you go to the website, it's to get rid of stigmatic guilt. It's not, they don't say stigmatic guilt with regard to sexual orientation. I mean, their their statements, they're, go forth and sin some more. That's not limited to, there's no reference references in any of that to sexuality. Their message is not limited to sexuality. Their message is broader. No sin, no cross, no crucifix, no sacrifice, no guilt, no, no gratitude for the removal of, of our sin. Um, 
It's a rejection of the cross. You know, uh, Cardinal Ratzinger, it was, it was funny because Cardinal Ratzinger gave a homily. So uh, Pope John Paul II passed away. They're going to hold a conclave. All the cardinals come to Rome. We're going to elect the new pope. Well, they have a pre-conclave mass. And Cardinal Ratzinger gave the homily. Uh, Cardinal Pell from Australia, recently in the news himself, uh, not too long ago, accused of crimes, and for years he suffered under the accusations, then ended up being fully exonerated. Uh, but that's another story. But anyways, in 2005, before any furor erupted in his backyard, he was in Rome for this conclave. And when he first heard this homily from Cardinal Ratzinger, he thought to himself, why, this guy doesn't want to be pope. <laughs> uh, he ended up being elected pope at that, at that conclave, but he gave a harsh assessment of the world such that, you know, like I said, some people thought this guy was not angling to say things that would get him into the papacy. Um, but um, he, gave a, he gave, like I said, a, a harsh message. And it was an appropriate one. And I'm very appropriate for our world today. What did he talk about? He talked about he talked about relativism. He said, "Well, relativism, which is letting oneself be tossed and swept along by every wind of teaching." And he's quoting uh, Saint Paul there. Looks, he says, "Looks like the only attitude that is acceptable to today's standards. We are moving towards a dictatorship." of relativism, which does not recognize anything as for certain, and which has as its highest goal one's own ego and one's own desires. He said, however, we have a different goal, the Son of God, period, end of story. It's the same message that we had with the reading from St. Paul with which we started, those same two points. St. Paul talked about Teachers talking about the people who want to be teachers, they don't even know what they're talking about. But there's one thing that's trustworthy, Christ. It's the same thing that Cardinal Ratzinger said. And he talked about this dictatorship of relativism. And isn't that what we have from the Dodgers? Oh, well, we're going to honor one group. They happen to promote sin. And then we're going to honor another group. They happen to believe in Christ. You know, so honor one one day. We'll honor, you know, somebody else two weeks later. You know, it's all the same. Everything's okay. Each of us gets to choose. There is no right and wrong. Everything's okay. And each one of us has the capability to just sort of choose and figure out where we're landing, as opposed to that there is some set of real truths. There's a, there's a whole book on this called The Bible. And it has all the truths that God, through his prophets, through his people, have given to us to help us understand what truly is right and wrong, and that there is a right and a wrong. And that's, that's relativism, right? To decide that I don't have to listen to anything else. I am the ultimate judge. I can do anything I wish, even if it hurts somebody else, even if it causes trouble for somebody else. And... It, that's the danger of relativism. I get, I get to do. I'm in complete control as opposed to, no, there are things that you cannot do. And there are things that you cannot do in our society, right? You cannot break the law. And there are things certainly that will keep you from getting to heaven, to being with God forever. And to not accept Jesus is, is, is the foremost of those rules. So you're right, Bob. I mean, you're absolutely right about that. What um, I mean, it's these dangers of of relativism. You're relative to right and wrong, as you're talking about, Bob. But relativism, relativism taken to its extremes, um, leaves you completely rudderless. Should you be relative to the question of God? Should you be relative to the question question of Christ? Should you be relative to the question of good versus evil? Because that's what, we're, that's what you're talking about, Bob. This, this, you know, anything goes. Nothing matters in terms of, you know, whether or not you're going to make it to heaven or not. There is no good and evil anymore. Um, should you be relative to other people 
Should you be relative to people? Even if you don't believe that there's any life after this, how about being relative to the people that you're sharing this planet with today? Could you be completely relative to those people? What is, we're talking about this, this thing about sin. And if you're relative to good and evil, you're relative to people. What is sin? What, if you go to the catechism, you'll, I, don't, I can't quote it verbatim, but essentially the definition of sin involves harm to people. It could be harm to yourself. Um, mostly, more often than not, it's, well, I, got, I don't know. I could say it's harm to other people. I guess most, more often than not, it's probably a harm to other people and you at the same time. And against God. And against God. Um, but your harm, it, but it creates harm. If you lie, you're harming somebody. If you lie um, to someone that you love, you're breaking, the, you're breaking a trust you have with, those, with, with that person. If you steal from somebody, yeah, you're definitely harming, creating some kind of a harm to that other person. You're taking something from that other person, that other person can't use it whether anymore, whether it's food or what have you. Um, if you commit some act of violence, well, that's certainly harmful against some other person. Um, you know, whatever it is, I mean, you're harming other people. Is there no room to ask anymore? whether we should allow that or not. You know, we, you know, nowadays, I mean, there are lots of cities in this country where as long as you steal less than $1,000, it's okay. Um, so, <laughs> you know, do we not care anymore? Can we just simply be relative to these things? Is nothing right and nothing wrong? Can't we even talk about this anymore? So, you know, when you say, well... You know, hey, what the Dodgers are doing. And God bless them. I mean, the people that are standing up and trying to push back against what the Dodgers are doing, whether it's Senator Rubio, Vice President Pence, whether it's, you know, the Prof Professor Grabowski from Catholic University of America, whether it's Bishop Barron, who I know has taken a stance on this as well, um, whoever it is, whether it's Clayton Kershaw, whoever it is, God bless you. You know, you're, you're standing up in a, you know, in a society when it's not easy to stand up. But you're missing the point. Okay, they offend the Catholic faith. They do things. They've, they've actually desecrated a consecrated host. Um, they commit, they use sacred symbols like the cross and so forth in sexual, in sexual acts of one sort or another. I mean, plainly profane, blasphemous, Offensive. If we are so concerned today about, hey, whether or not this group is offended, that group is offended, I'm sorry. If you're profaning the cross on which millions, billions of people around the world believe, and oh, by the way, it just happens to be the, the truth, but um, billions of people believe, um, you know, God who died for our sins, you're profaning that? Excuse me, that's not offensive? We shouldn't care about that? Okay, I get it. It's, but to say that it's offensive to us um, simply uh, uses the playbook that, that other people have given us. It's this, I'm offended game. Well, okay, there's room for that. There's room for discussion about that. There's certainly there's always there's certainly room for discussion about that because if we talked about sin, hey, if you insult somebody, you offend somebody, you're sinning, you're harming somebody. So there's obviously room for discussion about that. But it's also a personal way of looking at things. It takes things down from any kind of a vertical sphere and makes them horizontal. The only thing we care about is whether or not this person's feelings are hurt or that person's feelings are hurt. Bob, you said it. You were right on before. You said sin involves offending God. Now we're going vertical. Now we're going vertical. Um, this whole idea of individualism, it only, it, you know, the, the, the relativism re rests on personal ego. As, as Cardinal Ratzinger said, it's only, the only thing that matters is what I feel. There's something more real than simply what a given person feels. That, that other reality is that world we don't see. That's the world 
um, where, where God is everything. That's the sphere of divinity that is hard to see from our vantage point. But there's a reality there. And it's the most real thing. Uh, this business about our feelings, like, in, in, in a certain sense, who cares? Who cares? I can put aside my feelings. If somebody offends me, I can put that aside. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter. Somebody says something that's offensive to me now, in this instant. Okay, supposing in the next instant, I forget it. It's gone. It doesn't matter anymore unless I keep it alive and make it something that matters. All that stuff, it vanishes, it's temporary, it's transient, but there's one thing that lasts, all right? It's Christ, it's God, it's the reality of the afterlife. There, there is truth here. This is why relativism is so wrong, because it denies the fact that there's even such a thing as truth. All that matters is what I think, what you think. It's all relative. Nothing matters. There is no truth. There's nothing that, that's true tomorrow and yesterday and today and that has always been true and will always be true. None of that. None of that, none of that matters anymore if everything is simply relative. And if we say, I'm sorry, this group should not be on it because I'm offended, okay, there's, like I said, there's a place for that discussion. But it simply reiterates their outlook that personal feelings are the only things that matters. It, it doesn't talk about whether or not there is something deeper. It doesn't talk about whether or not there is something true. It doesn't talk about whether or not there is such a thing as good and evil. There is such a thing as sin. There is such a thing as God. There is such a thing as the sacrifice on the cross for that sin. It doesn't bring any of that into play. And why are we afraid to talk about that? Well, it seems, Ray, this is, to me, I, I think we can sort this out in a reasonable length of time, and that is it is now felt that if you take something of value from someone else that's less than $1,000, that's not wrong. I'm not going to be prosecuted for that. I'm not going to do anything that's about it. That's the message. That's, right. the, that's the message. It's not wrong. But you and I both know that if we go to anyone else and take something that's worth $1,000, that's dead wrong. We'd feel horrible about it. We'd feel guilty about it. Now, there's some that don't, but it doesn't make that's, it's not acceptable to do that. We know it's, we know in our heart, when we, each of us was born, we knew that it was wrong to hurt other people, to take something that, that's not, not ours. Now, you can, with time, try to get over that, but every one of us know it's wrong to hurt someone, to punch someone, to murder someone, to steal someone's things. We know it's wrong before we even know what the commandments are. We know it's incorrect. And yet, we're trying somehow to make what's deep in our gut, that God has put in us, in our heart, in our soul, that these things are wrong, and we're trying to twist it around to make it that it's somehow okay. And it's not okay. It's not okay to harm someone else. It's not okay to do wrong. It is incorrect, and we have to strive for that. We have to find what it is that God desires, what he wants, and to do that. And these folks are saying, no. Nope. It's all okay. Anything you want to do. I remember since I'm old, I grew up in the 60s, and there was a phrase that said, if it feels good, you should. And people used that phrase and said, you don't have to worry as long as it feels good to you. But that's absolutely incorrect. There are things that you can and cannot do. And it's not about our momentary feeling of happiness or tenderness or whatever it is. It's about what's right and wrong. It's about God. It's about are we separating ourselves from our maker that wants nothing more? He doesn't, he doesn't want anything but for us to share him and his life and eternity with us. And he's helping us understand what that requires and what that is. And it means to love him, to love his son who gave his life for us. So if there is, you know, if it feels good, do it. Um, so there is no right and wrong. I mean, really, you talked about bringing up your kids, right? And how you bring up your children. If you got children, do you tell them, that's okay. You, can, you know, if you're bigger than that other kid in school and you want to beat them up, you go ahead. You beat them up. I mean, do, do you really say that to your kids? Um, society makes a big point about bullying. 
and how bad bullying is. So there is right and wrong, isn't there? Because you're not supposed to tell your kid, go ahead and beat somebody else up. But at the same time, we can honor our group that does believe there is no right and wrong. We can give a pass to people who steal less than $1,000 from other people to the point where Nordstrom's and all these other stores in San Francisco are leaving because they just simply can't afford it. Um, is there such a thing as right and wrong? Is there not such a thing as right and wrong? Sometimes we say, sometimes society says, yes, there is right and wrong. You can't bully. And then sometimes they say, no, there's no such thing as right and wrong. Well, which is it? Is there something that is true? Um, you know, I said before that, you know, I think, uh, you know, a sin is what I feel. If I feel offended, that goes away. If I am insulted, if somebody does something to insult me, they've committed a harm, it's a sin. If I do it, let's go the other way around. Um, if I insult you, Bob, I've committed a sin. I've done something wrong. I've offended both you and God. Um, and uh, But if you forgive me and you say, I forget, I forget, not only do I forgive you, but if you tell me I've forgotten all about it, I don't even remember that anymore. Well, now it's gone. But what has had to happen there? You had to know about it. You had to consciously decide to forgive. You had to extend mercy to me. I've hurt you. You've extended love in response to me. Not easy for you to do something like this. You had to put aside your feelings of hurt. You had to make a small sacrifice. What happens if you don't do that? What happens if neither one of us think there's such a thing as sin or, or, or we don't care about hurting another person? Well, then it lingers. It's somewhere in the back of your mind, Bob. And at some point, there's going to be some still resentment towards me. You know, you take that small example and put that on a massive scale, and that's what Christ did for us. He repaid, he repaid hurt uh, and hate with love and sacrifice. This is the concept of sin and suffering. People ask, why, why has there got to be suffering in the world? It's to make up for the sin. You had to make a sacrifice. If I insult you and you forgive me by putting aside your feelings, you've made a small sacrifice. Um, that's what this is all about, and it's so that the sin doesn't linger. If there's no, if we not, if we don't even think there's any such thing as sin, the heart's going to linger. Um, you know, it's just a little mental mental imagery. Suppose I got a swimming pool, and um, it's a nice, brand new, you know, gunite pool, and. The water is like crystal clear, and the, the gunite's got this color to it, and so there's a nice, pretty light blue aspect to it. You can see every small little nuance in the bottom of the of the pool, ten feet below. I mean, the water is pure; it is crystal clear as as crystal clear as it can be. Now I walk, I I go out and um, I, I put my hand down and I pick up just a just a pile of dirt. And then I go over to that pool, and I throw the dirt in the pool. I just throw that in there. Well, you know, there's a certain section of the pool that's still going to be cloudy. And eventually it'll sink down to the bottom. But it's going to be there at the bottom of the pool, and it's just not going to go away unless I go in and clean it out. I suppose I throw another handful and another handful, and another handful of dirt. At some point, am I going to feel uh, And then what if I just say, you know, I don't care. I'm just going to go in there. And just, I'm just going to swim in there. I'm just, just, you know, let's just go swimming. Who cares? But you know, we don't have to clean. We don't have to clean. Let's just go swimming in there. That is, you know, sort of like what our interpersonal relationships are like. If we just keep slinging dirt at each other, and then we just keep swimming around in it, because we don't even even no, we don't even care about the dirt. Are we really going to want to live like that? Are we really, would you really you know, want to go swimming in a pool like that? Wouldn't you want that thing to be cleaned out? If you say everything is relative, nothing matters, there is no good, there is no evil, we don't have to worry about it, 
I mean, it's going to be like swimming in a cesspool. It's a it's a numbing of our senses to understand what's right or wrong. It's exactly correct, Ray. We are numbing our senses. We are dumbing down what's acceptable and not acceptable and not even making the realization that what we are doing has harm for other people and that that should not be what we do. What we should do is love one another, to take care of one another, to help someone else get the dirt the heck out of the pool, to to, to take care of it, to take care of one another, to be their shoulder to cry on when someone else has harmed them. Those, those are the things we ought to be doing to loving other people and taking care of them instead of throwing the dirt in the pool. We should be going the, exactly the opposite way. And somehow we're arguing, is it okay to do that? Well, ask you this, if you have a house and you are an apartment and you rent it or you own it wherever you are and someone else throws a brick through your window. Is that acceptable? Is that okay? Well, what's going to happen is you're either going to have hot or cold coming in your house because the window was there to try to keep that temperature and that other air out. You're going to go through some expense to fix that. Is it fair for someone to have done that damage? And if it's less than $1,000, if it's a small window, you're probably okay. If it's a large window, you might not make it for 1000 But that, therefore, is not something you should be arrested for because it's a, it's a minor offense. It's, it's okay. We shouldn't be doing that to each other. We shouldn't be forcing that cleanup. Instead, we should be taking care of one another, exactly as your point. We should know that there is right and wrong. We know we shouldn't be harming anyone. And somehow we're dumbing down the system to say that that's okay. As long as it feels good for us, it's okay to harm. It's okay to hurt. And that is not what God's telling us. He's saying those indiscretions are not there. He said, I, the father of the the world, the maker of the world, the creator of the world, can forgive you, and I hope that you forgive each other. I hope that that's the desire of each of you, but that doesn't mean it's right to be going doing all these things because you're being forgiven. It means that there is right and wrong, and we need to forgive one another. We need to take care of each other. Um, Very well done. Do we... we, um, So... Okay, Bob, if I insult you, that hurt lingers unless you forgive me. Um, what about me if I've done this? Um, if I just keep doing this and I never ask anybody for forgiveness, I never apologize to you, I never say I'm sorry, um, at some point does that, you know, just just mess me up? Do I become, I don't know, bitter? Uh, you know, do I think, well... You know, I don't, I, don't have to, I don't have to be sorry for anything I do. Am I going to feel okay with that? Isn't there not going to be some part of me, you know, inside that somehow knows that's not okay? I think the worst thing that these, this so-called sisterhood does is they're taking Christ away from people. You talk about sin, you talk about forgiveness, you talk about offending God. Where do you go to get rid of it? Where do you go to clean out the dirt from the bottom of the pool? How do you fix things? How do you find it in your heart to forgive somebody who's maybe very deeply offended you? Where do you go if you can't, you know, if if you can't get away from alcohol and you can't forgive yourself? Um where do you go to fix that? Um, you haven't talked to a family member in 20 years because he did something, you did something, and you both hate each other's guts. And, you know, you just don't have the, I'm not going to go to that person and apologize because he's not. I want, he's got to apologize to me first. Where do you go to fix that? If you take Christ away from people, uh, stigmatic guilt? It's not stigmatic guilt, it's stigmatic mercy. There is joy to be found in the cross. There is joy to be found with the mercy of God. There is love and joy. They talk about ultimate joy. They take vows to promulgate universal joy, which simply means you can do whatever you want. That kind of joy is not going to be, that's not real joy. Taking pleasure and whatever you know, and this kind of and something you want to do today, tomorrow, whatever, 
That's not ultimate, ultimate joy. How do you, you want to feel real joy? How about ultimate joy? The ultimate joy of being connected to God forever, forever. You want to feel real joy if you haven't really, if you don't know what it feels like, try to get closer to God. Try to get closer to Christ. I think the real problem, the, the worst thing about all of this is their message is to take people away from Christ. They're not going to feel the joy of being close to God. If you don't accept Christ, you belong to another religion, uh, you know, hey, there's one God. If you want to approach God from a different angle, but still try to approach God, that's between you and God. Um, from my, you know, from my perspective, there's so much evidence, so, so, so much evidence. Christ, not, Christ has not made it hard for us. He's made it easy for us. There's so, so much evidence that Christ is real. His love is real. Um, he, he rose from the dead. There's the witnesses of the 500 that are spoken about in the Bible. If you don't believe in that. You know, there's a story that just came out recently. You talk about nuns. You want to talk about sisters. You want to talk about a religious order. You want to talk about people who took, took vows. Well, here's one. Here's one that happened th this week. Is this a coincidence? Okay, we've got this brouhaha over the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. Oh, isn't that beautiful? Uh, I just showed Bob the – I just pulled out a – a printed article, uh, uh, an article that I printed off the internet, and he knows exactly what I'm talking about. Um, is it just a coincidence? At the very same moment in time, when we've got all this business about the L.A. Dodgers and these so-called nuns that are going to be honored, there's this little story. Bob and I, we live here in St. Louis. There's this little story from this little old nun in Missouri. And, oh, it's just, I don't know how many people catch this story I don't it's certainly not going to get as much uh, in a way of headlines as the LA Dodgers and their controversy but it should anyways so her name let's see there was a there was a nun she did not belong to the sisters of perpetual indulgence no she belonged to the Benedictine sisters of Mary Queen of the Apostles her name was sister Wilhelmina Lancaster she was the foundress of the order of the Benedictine Sisters of Mary Queen. She founded her own order. Um, she happened to be African-American. We talk about being inclusive. God's kind of an inclusive guy. Um, and he decided to use this nun um, for a little purpose, perhaps, um, so she had been buried. She died four years ago. Four years ago, in, mm -hmm. in 2019, at the age of 95. And she was buried in a simple wooden coffin. Um, she was not embalmed. There's a little miracle story that's coming here. She was not embalmed. Matter of fact, this wooden, this, this, this coffin was, was so meager. This wooden, simple wooden coffin was so meager. It had a big crack down the, the middle of it. Cracked down. So after four years... Water, moisture, all this stuff, all the elements for decomposition. And guess what? Uh, they decided that they were going to move her body because, well, she was the foundress of this order. And they were going to place her body inside the chapel, as is the custom in, in such cases. Well, they happened to, find, they happened to find something out. They opened, uh, as they were moving her, they happened to catch a glimpse inside the coffin. And well, the, the coffin broke. Ah. And then they saw inside what was there. <laughs> that's that's when the, things got very wonderful and loving and interesting. Is that in the movement, they actually broke the coffin, broke, and they saw some of the miracle that that had occurred. And then they then they went ahead to to, to take care of it. Now this coffin um, was had a certain lining to it. Um, that lining was completely gone. It had deteriorated. Um, the habit, now this, this sister also wore a habit, um, but the fabric of her habit was not deteriorated at all. The lining on the coffin, gone. Her fa the fabric of her habit that she was buried in is perfectly uh, normal. 
I'm looking at a picture of her right now, and she looks, you know, uh, not very different at all from what she would have looked like on the day that she died. You bet. So no decomposition. The laws of physics didn't apply inside her coffin. Why? Why didn't the laws of physics apply inside her coffin? Why? I mean, do we really want to be in the point where we don't ask these questions? Everything is relative. We don't even need to ask whether or not God is real. It doesn't matter, really. Um, is it just a coincidence that this happened at the very same moment in time when these other nuns, so-called nuns, are getting, are getting a, an award? They're being honored. Well, here we have a nun, a simple nun in Missouri who um, didn't try to attract any limelight to herself, and yet she was being given, she's being given an honor. She's given an honor. Well, this one came from up above. Yeah, the, the habit that she wears, everything else, is just a perfect fit for, for what's going on because these sisters of perpetual um, indulgence wear habits and make themselves look like a real set of nuns. And here they're going on about this, and, and her body is discovered with no no deterioration whatsoever. It's absolutely wonderful the way it's God just a works. Little, 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 you know, kind of inconsistency. But, you know. Yeah, it's just amazing the way it works. Yeah. Um, well, Bob, since uh, since you're here today, could you perhaps uh, lead us with a closing prayer? Sure. In the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for all you give us. You give us love. You give us caring. You gave us your Son to show us the way. We know not everybody understands this. We know not everyone knows who Christ is. But allow us every moment of every day to continue to let people know who Jesus is, what he did, what the Father's message is. And it's one of love, of forgiveness, of kindness. We want to go out and help other people and help them understand why Jesus died so that we could be saved and we could spend eternity with him and the Holy Spirit and the Father. Allow us always to know that there's right and wrong, always to know that God has given us everything we need, and allow us to truly love him with all of our heart, to worship him, to follow him, and not to be dissuaded by the foolishness, the cruelty, and the indifference of the world, but to follow him because of the love that he's given us. And we pray all of this through the wonderful and glorious name of his Son, who is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Um. Before you, before you close, let me just add a, a little adjunct to this. Um, let me just add one other prayer. And it's uh, to our Blessed Mother that she may be with you, Bob, and guide your efforts as you continue, continue your, your studies and your work in the seminary on your journey toward becoming a priest. And um, so we pray, as you say, we pray all this in the name of our Blessed Lord and Savior. In the name of the Father, Father, and and of the the Son, and and of of the the Holy Spirit, Spirit. amen. Amen. Thank Thank you you for joining us, and I hope you'll join us again next time.